Welcome to New Chair Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Berger. One of the most important parts of the New Trier Performing Arts Department was music. New Trier has a number of bands, orchestras, and choruses, and they too send many students on to professional careers in performing arts. Our guest today has worked professionally with the Lyric Opera of Chicago, the Pittsburgh Opera, spent 10 years at the National Opera Center, and seven years as executive director at the Opera Lafayette in Washington, D.C. She also has one of the most extraordinary singing voices that I've ever heard. Diana Hasek, welcome to New Trier Performing Arts Stories. Well, thank you. I think the key word that you uh, didn't use accurately is I have. <laughs> I have not sung in so long. And I'm pretty sure if I sang right now, though I used to be a color of soprano, I call her Taurus Soprano, I would probably now be a bass. I, I... <laughs> so thank you for that fond memory. I, I do. I do remember that. And I'll, I'll talk about that toward the end of the show. But uh, so this is my second show in a row where I'm wanting to focus a bit more on people who have had what I would consider to be hybrid careers, which is to say careers that have been both in and out of performing arts. And as I said last week, one of the things that came up in my wonderful Christmas interview with Suzanne Adams was how the skills that we're taught in the PAD are so incredibly multidisciplinary. So, and again, while I want this podcast to stay focused on performing arts, I also want to talk about how these skills that we've learned have benefited the many more students who went through Nutria's PAD, but did not go on to careers in performing arts. So, uh, so that's what I want to do, but I want to start as I always do with performing arts and then kind of work our way out into those other things. So my first question, how did Nutria's Performing Arts Department and your experience with it help to prepare you for the work that you've done in your career? You know, when I think back to my time at Nutria, I obviously think of the performances, but when I think back of, to what I have been doing for the past years, I, I realized that Nutria introduced me to so much more of a holistic experience around the arts than I realized at the time. But I feel like, you know, the gills, they scared me how they taught the, the, the crew. I can't remember what they used to say, but they would tell the crew to tell them to move. And if they don't move, get out of the way. And so there was this fear factor that they instilled in me. But I think really I was taught a respect for what is all needed to make a performance happen. And, you know, I think that the being a part of the Lanyap experience my senior year, that shows about the producing aspect of it and the administration aspect of it, marketing, that sort of thing. You know, we sold pizzas to say to raise money to go to New Trier or to, to Trier, Germany. Oh, and then I had the wonderful opportunity of being an assistant director to Mr. Nicholson for a couple of the summer shows. So I had the opportunity to be a part of the casting process, you know, in a high school level. So all of these things were happening. I was not thinking they were adding up to my career because I was thinking at that point I was going to be a performing artist. But all of those things I have taken and moved forward into what has been a, a really rich and rewarding experience in the performing arts nonprofit administration. Cool. So there's several things in there that I want to unpack. First is that the, the the gills and respect for the gills is something that comes up an awful lot. And, and, and fear, frankly, I think is also mentioned uh, a number of times. But one of the things that I think a number of guests have mentioned, and you just mentioned Lanyap, which is the, the big annual show that is everything student. I mean, it's student produced, student directed, student written, student everything. And one of the things that that, that touches on is how often it was at Nutrier that the students were given the keys to the kingdom 
I mean, we were given an extraordinary level of power and authority and responsibility, which you don't normally get to, you know, you don't get the chance to get that level of hands-on experience. And when you combine that with the fact that you're working in a Broadway quality theater at the same time with people who literally came from Broadway to Nutria to help teach us how to do that sort of thing is, is really kind of impressive. The, another standard question that I have for people is, what is your favorite Nutrier performing arts experience and why? So I, you told me you were going to ask me this, and I really thought about it. And first of all, I remember other people's performances more than mine. I mean, I remember falling in, Dan, in love with Dan McDonald every time he performed on stage. I, you know, so I, there were just... I, Janet Vandergraaff, I mean, Chris Lacroix in Feeding's Rainbow. I mean, I just remember all of these people's, you know, performances. For me, when I think about me it, in, the, in the context of the performing arts department, I really think about progression. I first auditioned the summer before my freshman year for the summer school program. I can't remember what that was called. And I sang acapella, happily ever after from Once Upon a Mattress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after the auditions were over and we had been assigned our parts and everything, Mrs. Pingle Powell came up to me afterwards and said, I think you should take voice lessons. And my thought at that time was, well, how rude. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, well, I think I'm pretty good. I didn't understand that she was nurturing me. Right. And that nurturing just continued to go through the whole time that I was there until the last performance, which was a senior recital. And that was probably for me my most rewarding performance because I it's probably the hardest thing I worked for to achieve was the senior performance. And it really showed how far I'd come because I was not just singing this, you know, musical song a cappella, but I was singing a classical piece of music with piano and flute in a in a in a wonderful situation. So I think of of those in terms of my performances, but what really comes to me in memories are the snapshots you know, uh, the memory snapshots that I have, you know, swing choir in rehearsal, my first stage kiss with Tim Walsh. It may have even been my real first kiss. <laughs> um, you know, our international debut in, in Germany, singing Lighter Rose. Oh, tr- in Trier, right, of course, yeah. Dancing with Peter O'Neill in the Sound of Music gazebo when we were in Austria. Dancing with Mr. Nicholson, we had a class on Gaffney stage one year and he was teaching us the Shall We Dance waltz and there was no music. But he took me in his arms and just, I mean, I don't think I've ever then today moved as fast as he got me to move. It was just thrilling. There was no music, but, you know, I, he made me feel like I could dance, first of all, and, and that, that I was performing with somebody great as he was. And I remember things like Mrs. Pingle Powell t- teaching us how to properly do a stage hug that she would say, this is an, a, an A-frame hug. This is a one of your pits don't smell. I don't know which one. And this is a hug. <laughs> and I also, and then I'll, I'll, this was one that, well, and two memories that I have of I Remember Mama, which you and I did. I remember being on the, um, on the proscenium part of the stage. Each act began with a monologue of Catherine, of my character. And I was sitting uh, on the proscenium stage at my little desk, you know, kind of reviewing my, the diary that I was reading from. And I started reading the diary out loud. And I heard in the background all of this, pss, 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 what's she doing? Pss, 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 what's she doing? And all of a sudden I realized I had started the whole play with the second act monologues. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now that's a new trip performing art story. There you go. Wow. So I turned, I just paused 
And I turned my diary back further and then just started again. Nobody was the wiser, but you know, however many years, 35 years later, I am still ruined by that moment. Oh, that is amazing. That is great. That is, that is why we are here, folks. That is a new trip performing our story. Cool. You mentioned Mrs. Pinglepaul a couple of times, who's come up in a couple of our podcasts. And what you said when she said you might consider voice lessons, because that was the way it was almost like, and you're thinking, oh, wow, honey, you need help. And what she was really saying was, sweetie, you have skills. We need to develop this, you know, because <laughs> you don't know yet, right? She was always, what I remember about her was that year, and you may remember this, she was pregnant that year. And as we got farther along in the year and she got more and more pregnant. Her voice and her laugh got deeper and funnier. And by and she would giggle and, and just the entire class would just lose it because it was just so funny to listen to her laugh. And she would say stuff that was wonderfully, uh, refreshingly inappropriate in class. Like she got the first time that she got a pair of jeans, the pregnant jeans with the elastic thing in the front there, Oh, and she was just praising these things in the class. <laughs> so, yes, I, I remember her very well. And, and I, I don't know where she is today, but hopefully she'll listen to these and she'll remember that and, and know that everybody remembers her very, very fondly. You say that um, she said inappropriate things. The one thing that I think about more often than anything else that she said is, and I it was, she obviously said it apropos to some kind of theater thing she was teaching Right, us. right, yeah. But what she said was, Something to the extent of it's like when you're driving onto a highway from the on-ramp. At a certain point, you just close your eyes, press the accelerator, and and just go and pray. <laughs> <laughs> and so frequently, I will think of that when I'm going onto a highway. When you're going onto a highway, yeah. That's but what you got why she said that, I don't know. Why do I remember this now? I have no idea. But I... I think of her many, many times when I'm getting onto the highway. Yeah. Well, folks, we're talking to Diana Hasek, and well, we're having a great time, but uh, we need to take a break for just a second, and we will be right back. This episode of Nutrier Performing Arts Stories is brought to you by I Relieve You, Sir, a sometimes harrowing, often hilarious collection of U.S. Navy sea stories by Dwayne Burkhardt. The book is available on Amazon.com for just $5.99 in paperback and just $2.99 in ebook format. Buy yours today. And we are back. We are talking with Diana Hasek. Diana, I want to talk a little about, about more recent times. When the Great Recession hit, you did what a lot of people did in that time and that you took advantage of it as an opportunity to go expand your skills. So you went to ASU and picked up your MBA. Did you do that because you wanted to do more on the business side of opera and music? Was that something that you kind of reached a point in your career where you felt like you needed that to, to do more in, again, the business side of performing arts? Uh, I think it was for two reasons. First of all, uh, my wife got a job as the general director of Arizona Opera. And so I was moving with her. And so I decided what should I do? And for years, I had been advising um, up and coming administrators that if they wanted to get a, a master's degree, that I encouraged them to consider an MBA 
as opposed to a nonprofit administration. And so I just decided to put my money where my mouth was and take this opportunity. And, and ASU, I'm sure all schools do, but ASU had a, an ex executive program that was on the weekends so that in the beginning I was able to go back and forth between New York where I was working still and coming to ASU for classes. But I was with 50 people who were my age when I thought about going back to get my master's in my 40s, I was like, I cannot sit with 20 year olds. I just can't. <laughs> no offense to 20 year olds. I was just going to feel supremely old. So I was really excited to work with people that were my age. I was one of two people that came from nonprofits. I was one of two out gay people. I was one of two Democrats, but it was a profound experience, less so because of the, the classes and more because of the experience of my colleagues. And, and hearing what their lives were like working in corporate sector and, and that sort of thing. So, but it, it was a great experience and I'm very glad that I did it. I read things when you get your MBA, your, your salary goes up, you know, certain percentages and that sort of thing. That has not been the case for me, but that's because I've chosen to be a nonprofit. Right. Sadly, for many people in my life, I've never worried about money. <laughs> not because I, I have it, but just because... I think it's more important to be happy in your work. It's a significant portion of your life. And to, to go and do your work and not be happy in it, I just think would have to be a very hard life. Well, and you've actually, you've, you've stayed happy, of course, again, because you've stayed with some of the things that you've loved so much. And so, and you end up at Opera Lafayette. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you've ended up as, you ended up as the executive director there. If, if we can tie together, so you have Nutrier, you have your MBA, and now you're going back into that kind of an environment. And did, did that feel at that time in your life, like you were pulling it all together in a way or? You know, it's interesting because I have always said, as far as my administration experience goes, that I think that I am an excellent second, that I have worked for people who are extraordinary visionaries, extraordinary leaders, and who I have been honored to be a part of helping their vision come to fruition. And that is what I thought I was most excellent at. I have had many people in my life who, who have believed in me and have encouraged me to seek out the leadership position. And I did apply for the position at Opera Lafayette because I was encouraged to do so by people that I admire. I didn't get it. It went to somebody else. And they then called me and said, would you be willing to come in and help us out with our marketing in a temporary capacity? I said, sure. So I worked in a temporary capacity with them for a while. The person that they hired as the ex executive director left within a year and they offered me the job. And I said, and my brain thought was, okay, What's going to happen is if I say no, because I don't think I should be an executive director, is I'm going to be the interim executive director, not get paid for it. And then when the person comes in as the executive director, they'll get rid of me because this company doesn't need people with this level of experience, two people with this level of experience. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take this as a sign and just try and see if this executive director thing is really what I'm supposed to be doing. And at the end of the day, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. I knew myself very well. That is not to say that I did not have an extraordinary time in, in that job. But simply, I would say, and you, you commented earlier on my, my experience with working with community members and that sort of thing. It is a completely different scenario when you go from having one boss, you know, this president and CEO of somebody, of a company rather, to becoming, a, having your board be a boss. Because a board is not a monolith. It is, you know, depending on the size of your organization, 15 to several hundred people 
who hopefully all have the same vision for the company, but often don't. And so you are trying to manage many different views and hopes and dreams for the, the company. And that's really hard to juggle. And it's an incredible skill that I've seen many people man manage brilliantly. It's not my forte. <laughs> it's not, it, I mean, I, I mean, it's not my forte, but more importantly, I, I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't really enjoy it. So, so you moved on from, from there. I do want to back up to something we did discuss off, off, off the air and I'll, I'll just touch on again because yeah, I think it is super cool because in my life, having owned in, in the, the section of my life that I call my serial entrepreneur phase, 17 different businesses in a 25 year period, I had 130 employees. I've also been, you know, I've been a candidate in congressional campaigns. So I have managed contractors, employees, and volunteers. Mm -hmm. But I've never done all three of them at the same time. And I cannot imagine what I, I can I can see where you might have that as an experience and go, yeah, that's not for me. Um, I, 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 I totally get that. I So in nonprofit performing arts, frequently, once you um, achieve a certain level, you know, of in your position, you are managing staff, independent contractors and volunteers. Volunteers are frequently, I mean, they are the backbone of nonprofit performing arts. I can't speak for all nonprofit, but I would imagine that's the case as well. And managing them is a completely different animal. Yeah. So that part I've, I've done probably with, in all my jobs, within the past, you know, 20 plus years. But what I found difficult is reporting to, you know, a, a group of people. Uh, but let's get from there then to what was right for you and what you're doing now, because what you're doing now really does use a lot of those MBA skills, right? You're, you're, you're building a coaching service for executives in business, right? So yes, this goes back to something that I said that I have been very blessed to work with some incredibly visionary people. And I've gotten to a point in my life where I want to be able to have my own voice, which is kind of funny to say that about my performing arts background, because I always had a voice. Your voice was it, babe. I feel like I've given my voice to somebody else, or I've used my voice to help other people move forward. And so the one thing that's been consistent in my career, besides performing arts and the nonprofit aspect of it, as has been mentoring, career coaching. I've worked with composer and librettist programs at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. I've I created a young artist program at Pittsburgh Opera, which continues to go. The National Opera Center has a, a really extensive portfolio for performing and creative artists that began with a singer program I began 25 years ago or something like that. So I, and also while I was at Opera America, I worked with creating the administrative annual conference. So I was helping, you know, people move forward in their own careers and that sort of thing. So that's been a constant. And that's probably what I've loved about my work most of all. And so I am now, as I am thinking about retirement, <laughs> wanting to A, be able to have an outlet where I'm able to tap into my voice and my skills and help people one-on-one -on, -one on their terms, as opposed to on the for the benefit of a company, larger company. So that is what I'm working towards right now. You know, it's funny because you mentioned, I can't remember if you mentioned it on air or off air, but one of the things that I would like to incorporate into the coaching is to bring the arts into work environments. 
And I, cause I think, you know, like you mentioned improvisation, those are skills that can translate into having a better work environment to become adaptable. I think being able to bring together people who bring to, to an environment to bring the dust off that instrument that they used to play when they were a child and to be able to play with other people on their team, not for the beauty of it, but for the process of it, to understand how you each have individual skills, but you are trying to create something together. And what is the role of the conductor or the director of that program and that sort of thing? And how are how is that person listening to that and responding to it, but also directing it? And just elements of the performing arts and the fine arts that I think are really critical and could be very helpful to bringing into the workplace. So that's something that um, I would like to bridge at some point. Well, I just came up with your tagline just for your for your business card. If you want, you would, and you said it by the way. Uh, I I loved it though, and it was that you know it would be Diana Hasek using my voice to help you find yours. Oh, I love that. So. That's yeah. That's, well, now I that's, need to pay you for this session. <laughs> that's 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 years in business right there. That I just I heard you say it. Wow, I love yeah. that. I'm writing it down. So one of the things that I love, one of my favorite parts of the show, it's fun to have guests on who I know personally, and so I get to take a, a minute at the end of the show and, and tell you what I remember. The thing that I remembered when I saw your name, and I was thinking, what's my first memory of, of Diana? And it was really easy because you and I were in the same theater workshop class with Mrs. Pingle Powell freshman year. And one of the things about that class was that in freshman year, they're trying to expose you to a variety of different parts of performing arts. And so you do a lot of different sorts of things because they're trying to help us find our direction for the rest of our Nutria experience, which is really cool. One of the things that we had to do was a singing audition. It was required. And uh, I remember I did uh, On the Street Where You Live. Oh, my favorite song. That's the song I had. Uh, selected as one of the audition songs for Lanyap, the year really? that I did the Carl Meeks. I was so terrified, but I did it. And I remember, but what I remember about you was as we went through all of these uh, auditions and it was somewhat similar to what I said with, with Janet Vandegraaff, the moment I stepped on stage with Janet Vandegraaff for the first time, my thought was, oh my God, this is the level of quality that, I, that I'm walking into here. I better bring my A game every day. When you stepped up on stage and did your voice audition, I remember thinking, oh, so that's how it's done then. Okay. <laughs> that's um that's 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 better than everybody else. <laughs> uh it was really extraordinary. And I I'm not at all surprised to find that you have had the career that you have had with all of these different operas and these and and being around that and uh, and using, again, using your voice for and with others. It's its just not surprising to me at all. So that's what I remember about you. Well, thank you. It's funny to hear somebody talk about my voice because my niece, who's 21 years old, I, my parents made me come out of retirement for my brother's wedding. They were like, we paid for your voice lessons, you're singing at <laughs> you're, our son's wedding. You're going to sing, right. And uh, so I sang, and years later, my niece was watching my brother's and sister-in-law's wedding and I sang at it and she she sent me a text and she said, dang, you're good. And what was so funny is I realized <laughs> she doesn't even know me as a singer. So that was like the first time she was hearing me sing. And it was a long time ago. But it was just so funny to realize that I have like two. I mean, I'm sure we all do. Right. There's just like two completely different Diana's, you know, I mean, different, you know, like right. she, she's been she's been in my life for, you know, 21 years. And yet she doesn't know anything about my performing career. 
and she's a dancer, you know, so it's Wow, well, there you go. But thank you for that memory. My my pleasure. Folks, we have been talking with Diana Hasek, executive coach and opera director extraordinaire. Uh, thank you so much for being on New Trip Performing Arts Stories. We really appreciate having you here today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Nutria Performing Arts Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives Incorporated. It is written, directed, produced, and believe it or not, heavily edited by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. For more information or to suggest a guest or sponsor for our podcast, please email info at nutriarpadstories.com. And join us next week for a very special interview with actress, writer, director, and producer Beth Lane as we discuss her powerful new documentary film, Would You Hide Me? Thanks for listening. See you next time.